All right, here we are. You can hear me? Working? All right, and I just forgot that beautiful thought I was in the middle of. <laughs> Jesus went to prepare a place for us. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And one translation says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Uh, place, mansion, room, whatever it is. Think of how wonderful it is that we have something new downstairs. And think of what the Lord has prepared not just in a few months, but from eternity, the newness, what we're walking into when we go to be with him, when we get into our, our, our position, our home, our place. Right now, we are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are aliens. Do you feel strange? We should feel strange being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not according to the world's walk that we walk. We walk according to a heavenly walk, and we are walking somewhere. Amen. We are walking to a, a new room, so to speak. And uh, it's more than that. It's much more than that. But that's something to think about when we enjoy our new environment, that it's a, just a taste and a, just a little shadow of what's to come. We have something new to look forward to. And for that one, we didn't have to put any effort or money into it. So um, we're going to finish up today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And we've been looking through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I've been calling this the model prayer. I'm not the only one to call it a model prayer, but it's, it's just a model for us. It's not a prescription that you repeat this prayer all the time. Jesus said, in this manner, pray. And I also have said repeatedly, which is worth reminding you, that it's not just a in this manner, pray, but I believe it applies to our walk, the way we live, in this manner, live. The model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, whatever you call it, is a, a uh, delineation of the Christian life in, in some respects. And we're going to see that. We're going to close with that today. But it's you live in these things. And we talked about you start with worship and your position. You are in position as family, as a child of God, our Father who art in heaven, who is in heaven, King James, who, who art in heaven. Um, Hallowed be your name. You are worshiping, setting him apart. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are aligning yourself as a partner in his agenda. You have positioned as a child. You are partnering in his agenda. And then you say, give us this day our daily bread. You have provision that he supplies for you daily. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pardon, forgiveness, freedom, because we, we can enjoy what God has prepared for us. We can enter into the new, not by any works of our own, but because we are reconciled to God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so today we come to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we're going to talk about temptation and deliverance. And what do you think about when you hear the word temptation? Well, some people may be on a diet and they're saying, I'm tempted to eat a second helping. Or that chocolate cake looks very tempting, right? Nobody's ever been tempted with that? <laughs> well, there's more to that than just being tempted on a diet. We th you might be thinking about Adam and Eve, how they were tempted in the garden. And what did that mean? You know, Satan offered them some forbidden fruit, and from that time on, he has continued to offer forbidden fruit. But the temptation, behind the temptation, we see a, an, an attempt 
to trick or to lure you. And that's what happened in the garden. Satan tricked or lured Adam and Eve into the fallen condition. Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, but he couldn't do it. It wasn't tempt. It was attempt. It was only attempt. He had nothing in Jesus. And again, he was trying to trick or lure him in the wilderness. So a temptation, we might frame it as a setup for a downfall, a setup for a downfall. And that often means to trick or allure you into sin. But the word temptation in the New Testament everywhere doesn't just mean to be tricked or lured into sin. It also means trial or trouble. In James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various temptations or trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and lacking nothing. So there, James is talking about count it a joy when you enter into these things because the trying of your faith is going to produce something good. But that being said, Jesus told us to pray, stay away, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And temptation seems very powerful because it is ever-present. It's always present. From the moment you wake up, when I wake up, I'm tempted to sleep in a little bit longer. Sometimes people wake up, they're tempted to be dreading the day ahead. There's always temptations. And there's, there's the things that we allow into our homes through television, through internet, through music. Sometimes there are temptations to be giving your mind to the wrong things or to be doing something that when you should be doing something else. There's temptations from our peers, whether at work, school, neighbors, or whatever the world is doing. There's always temptations before us. When we're out and about, there are noises and sights and sounds that are tempting us to not be focused on God. And it's very easy to be tricked or allured away from a continual mindfulness of being present with the Lord and the Lord being present with us, which is what gives us strength, which is what gives us peace, which was, gives us joy. But when we're just being carried away by temptations, and not just the sin, but when there's troubles, and the temptation is to believe that God doesn't care, or maybe God's not working like he used to, and, and God's got me into this? Did God, get, did God lead me into this temptation? Why did Jesus pray, lead us into, not into temptation? And we're going to say that, no, it's not God that led you there. But that's, I'm just saying it's always there. It's always a temptation. And uh, we, we want to be delivered from it. That's the expression of this prayer, deliver us from the evil one. Now, notice that Jesus didn't frame this or say or teach, help us to overcome temptation. And here's the good news about it. Temptation is everywhere. It seems present all the time. It seems powerful, but it's really not because Jesus has overcome the world. Well, you say, well, what do you mean it's not powerful? I, I'm struggling so much with this temptation. I can't help myself. Yes, you can. If you know the power of God, if you are in relationship with Jesus, if you know how to walk in the ways of his word, you find a secret power. You find your superpower. You find the strength of Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you start to think on this, see, Satan has us in a place where we think we have no power and we have to struggle and fight and that it's, oh, it's so hard and how am I ever going to make it? And that is not the walk of faith. The walk of faith is saying the greater one lives in me. I say to the Lord through lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that God is the deliverer and I'm in relationship with God. If I'm in relationship with God and he is my father, I'm not a slave. heavenly father i hallow his name i'm after the ways of his kingdom he's given me my daily supply he's forgiven me my debts then i can trust that he's going to deliver me from the evil amen and that's power that we have authority because jesus died and rose again he said all authority has been given unto me and he sends us if he has authority we have authority because we are one with him so we have power. We had power in this prayer. We have the deliverer, the mighty deliverer. This is deliverance. And more so than just asking us to be delivered from the evil, we have him living on the inside. And if we can walk with that knowledge, with that joy and that understanding of God inside, then temptation seems to lose a lot, a lot of its power. But we are tricked and allured into thinking we're alone, tricked and allured by the way things look in the natural. And that's why we come to church. We want to get back into the supernatural. We want to be in the spiritual. We are spiritual beings, and we need to be focused and driven by our spiritual relationship with the Lord. So we have authority. All that being said, still, we would rather avoid the battles, right? good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is just stay in the faith. You're not fighting the temptation. You're not fighting the battle, but you need to build your faith up to overcome the temptation. And so it'd be good to just not have to be in the battles, right? Isn't it better to rest and be at peace rather than have to fight this thing? So the Lord taught, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a direction to steer clear of, of temptation. In another place, in Mark 14, verse 38, Jesus said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So, between that and watch and pray and lead us not into temptation, we get the idea here, here that it's not God's will that we go into temptation, that we're not led into temptation. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, notice in that place, the Holy Spirit didn't lead him into temptation, but he led him into the place. It was the devil that was doing the tempting. It wasn't God that was doing the tempting. But the Holy Spirit led Jesus for a reason, that he would fulfill all the righteousness. He got baptized. He got led into the wilderness. He had to overcome some of the major temptations that we would have his victory set in place. And there's more to it than that, but it's not what I want to get into right now, the theology there. But Jesus was led so that we don't have to be led into that place. We don't have to prove something. We don't have to become what he is. We have what he is because of what he has overcome in that episode.
So we don't have to think that this is something that God is putting on me because he wants to try me. He wants to tempt me. Otherwise, why would he tell us to pray to steer clear of it? Lead us not into temptation. Mark 14, 38, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so it's clearly not his will. And yet, historically, we have teachers in the church from the ancient fathers on speaking as if God will try us to test us. I even read one person say that God sifts us sometimes. But if you look at where there's any sifting in the New Testament, it's Peter who was being sifted, and Jesus said it wasn't God sifting him. It was the devil that was sifting him. So whatever you're going through, you're going to have temptations. You're going to have trials, but you understand that it's not God that's trying to put you through something. God doesn't save us and then put us on on an obstacle course to see how we do, although he does allow us to get into positions of temptation. He's not the one that is tempting us. And if you need more proof of that, you have James 1 verse 13, which says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Luther was known to say that uh, temptation is the, great, is the best school into which the Christian can enter. Now, that, that, what he meant by that, I'm not so sure, but it's not that God is enrolling us in that school. You can learn through your trials, and in fact, we do learn through trials. But we don't have to learn through trials. In fact, that's not always, the trial is not what we learn from. What we learn from in the trial is the Word. We learn from the Word. In a trial, you can learn something by going to the Word or you can struggle and suffer in a trial, and you'll never learn anything. If, if we got better by trials, then most of the world would be full of better people because we're all going through it. You don't get better because of a trial, but you get better because of a trial if you know what to do. If you follow the path of the Lord and you get into the Word, you can learn something. And in that sense, Luther's statement is true. Temptation is a great school because it forces you to go do your homework. What are the promises I need at this moment? What did, the God do, what did God do for me that I can get by and overcome in this? He says, in this word, world, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But we just saw in James 1 that no one should say that I'm being tempted of God. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. If God was doing this, bringing us into these obstacles just to try us, it would kind of be contradicting what he said when he's teaching us to be led not into temptation, but to be delivered, not to, not to enter into temptation. So God doesn't bring the temptation. He doesn't bring the trials. Instead, like I said before, we will go through trials, but in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So while God is not doing the tempting, he may allow you to get into a place. He knows there's better good that can come out of your victory through it all, but he will not allow you. He's not bringing it upon you. What he's bringing upon you is a way of escape. 
Now, you see what kind of a difference this can make when you're having trouble? If you think God's bringing the trouble into your life, it's going to take you longer to overcome. But if you're in the midst of trouble and you say, God has a way of escape for me in this, you've just made a great advance towards your escape by knowing that there is an escape. And now it's just a matter of you plugging into what the, God's plan is, how to overcome, how to get into the promises that will be helpful in this situation and to get you focused on a loving God who is for you, not against you, who is the deliverer and not the, the schoolmaster who's trying to test you and see if you really got what it takes or if there's something in your heart that we need to deal with. God will deal with things in your heart. He deals with us through the word, and we can discover things and temptations, but all I'm saying is when you're in a temptation, and we all will be, I'm not saying we don't have temptations, but I'm saying we have a way of escape in Christ, and that's part of the reason that he's teaching us this. As we pray, it puts us back on guard and gets us looking to him as our help, our deliverer. So the question might be arising in everyone's mind right now. I can see the, the smoke coming out of heads and things. Why did Jesus say, lead us not into temp temptation if God is not the one that leads us into temptations? Why are we praying and asking God not to lead us? Isn't that kind of being redundant or, you know, does God lead us? And here you're saying that no. And we just, we saw James says, let no one say God leads you. So why pray, lead us not in temptation, not into temptation? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. And I don't think it's so controversial. This has been kind of a difficulty sometimes. And I think the key to making it not controversial is to understand that Jesus was speaking to Jewish people in a Jewish context. And although our New Testament is recorded in Greek, it doesn't mean that they weren't Jewish still and that they had Hebrew culture. And I believe that the answer to this is that this is a statement that is framed in a Hebrew form, a Middle Eastern cultural mindset. Okay, are you with me so far? It'll get clearer, I hope, I think. But just put yourself in Hebrew culture. We don't speak the same way in Hebrew culture as we speak in Western culture all the time. Western culture is very... Uh, systematic, logical, and progressive. Sometimes Hebrew culture would not be like that, and there'd be a more totality to things than, than what we, when we speak, uh, communicate. And there is a uh, Hebrew form of thought known as antithetical parallelism. You didn't know you were going to have to think today, right? Antithetical parallelism. Okay, and now that's as hard as it's going to get. What, what we're seeing here, what is antithetical parallelism? It is the communication of one idea, but you're using two contrasting ideas. Okay, lead us not into temptation is one item. Deliver us from evil is two items. But really, there's one thought here. We want to prevail. We want to be out of that. Okay, we have examples of this in other scriptures. Uh, for example, in Psalm 37, verse 9. For evildoers evil shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Okay, there's two contrasting ideas here. Evildoers cutting off 
and those who wait on the Lord inheriting the earth. But there's one basic idea is that you want to be among those who inherit the earth. You want to be on the Lord's side. You can see another example in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but, positive, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Not this, but this. There's one idea saying two opposing contrasts. So the, the idea here is you want to be among those who are blessed of the Lord. Not this, but this. If we were to use it in a modern term, maybe you'd go to your boss at work and say, boss, I don't want to be fired. I want to be promoted. Okay? You're just expressing one desire. Are we doing okay? Can you get, so antithetical parallelism is a Hebrew form of communication. You can see it in other places. Now you can start looking when you're reading through some of these things and say, not this, but this. But the, there's one general idea here. And so he's not saying that God will lead you in temptation, but he's trying to get you to remember that God is the deliverer and that you want to be in the position of prevailing over these things. So that's the P word for this section of the prayer. We've, we've completed the Lord's Prayer with different P's, position and, and partnership, provision and pardon, and now prevailing. This is the petition that shows us the prevailing. And there's two kinds of temptation, as I said. There's sin and there's trials. And we want to prevail over sin, and we want to prevail over the trials. So let's talk about prevailing over sin. If you are a born-again believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have tasted of the goodness of God, it should have done something to your taste for sin. It should make you hate sin. Sin is the enemy. And most people don't know that out in the world. Christians know that. But most people out there are running into sin, diving into sin, not realizing that sin is the enemy. Sin looks good on the surface, but underneath it's the destroyer, and it's the cause of every problem in this world. Everything comes back to the problem of sin. Whether your suffering is a result of your own sin or somebody else's sin, or maybe it's just a result of sin that has broken the world, everything is traced back to sin. And as a believer in God, knowing the goodness of God and the purity of God and the holiness of God, we should hate sin. And then... We discover, though, that as we're newborn again beings, we still discover sin in our lives. And that should cause us trouble. So we, we pray this prayer. We don't want sin. We want to be delivered from sin. So this prayer is basically expressing a desire for what's called sanctification. All right, and using more technical terms today than I usually do, but I know you can handle it. Sanctification is the outworking of what's inside, the righteousness of God coming out of you. All right, when you have been born again, you've been made a new creature in Christ. God sees you as holy and righteous, perfect in your spirit, but you still got the problem of your body, your flesh, your soul, your mindset, and things like that, that you need the, the blessings of the treasures of righteousness in your spirit to come out and play out in your life. And sometimes we don't always see that the way we'd like to. And so we're praying this prayer of sanctification, sanctification, making it 
on, on the outside what God has put on the inside. And because it's all good on the inside, and your spirit is born again, new, and accepted. You are greatly loved, and God is not holding sin against you. But still, we reap the consequences of sin, and still, we love the Lord. We don't want to sin against Him, and we want to grow. There's more purity and power and blessings as we walk in the righteousness of God. And it's just, if you've tasted of the goodness of God, the grace of God, that should be your desire. And uh, this is a prayer for sanctification. And this prayer, uh, this petition, I mean, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Note that it comes after, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. That is a petition concerning justification. You need to be justified by the blood of Jesus, by the forgiveness of Jesus. Justification comes before sanctification, working it out. And so do you understand why a lot of people in the church are troubled and in anxiety and stressed and religion is hard and difficult because sometimes they get it backwards. They're trying to work out sanctification. They're trying to work in order to be justified. If I just do this enough, 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 God will be pleased and blessed with me. And, and then even when we know the gospel that it's all because of Jesus, we still can get into this mindset where if I just do this more, maybe God won't be angry with me. God's not angry with you. You have been justified through the blood of Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, it's perfectly satisfied him. God's not angry with you. He's not even in a bad mood. And that blesses us. And so we, we, we walk in that, and that's what produces the outcome. We want to be sanctified. We want to work. Don't make the mistake of starting backwards, making the sanctification first, and then thinking that justifies you. It doesn't. And that makes it hard to be sanctified. If you're working for your justification, you'll always backslide. You'll always fail. You'll always get upset. But when the pressure's taken off and you're justified, nothing can change that because of what Jesus has done. Now sanctification flows a lot more smoothly. You're not trying to do anything. You're just walking with God and allowing him to work through you, knowing that he loves you, he's for you, not against you. He's blessed you because of what he's done through Christ. And that makes it so much easier, so much more refreshing, and it makes it desirable. So grace, that's what we're talking about. Lead us not into temptation uh, because we know where temptation leads, or we should know. Temptation leads to loss. We've all had to deal with mice in our house sometimes, right? What's a mouse trap but a temptation to a mouse? A mouse trap, you put a piece of cheese on it, and that cheese has that aroma that's, that's drawing with the fingers. Come on over this way, come on. And the mouse just sort of twitches the whiskers and goes for it. And it starts to taste, maybe gets one moment of a good taste of that cheese, and wham, boom, the mousetrap comes down, boom, and that's it, you're gone. And, you know, we should be wise enough to know this. We should have had our eyes open, but sometimes uh, we just forget, and we get misled, we fall for the aroma and the lure, and remember, temptation is tricking and alluring, but you could avoid a lot of heartache and trouble if you just considered 
where these steps are taking you, where these things are going to lead. You know, how many people have fallen? How many pastors have fallen because of scandalous sins? I don't think they woke up one morning and said, ah, I think I'll just fall into sin today. But they were taking steps. They allowed their mind to go places without checking it, not without uh, understanding. They're not considering lead us not in temp- into temptation. They're, just, they're not seeing a temptation. They're seeing an invitation. And you've got to learn to discern between a, a good invitation and something that's a temptation. Samson. How many times did Samson give in to Delilah? She looked inviting, I'm sure. And I'm sure that temptation was very powerful. And he, he failed miserably several times, had consequences come on him because he gave in to the temptation, and yet he kept coming back. That's not very wise. But that shows the power that uh, temptation is when you don't have the new covenant Christ living on the inside of you. You know, we have more than the Old Testament saints had. They didn't have the spirit of Jesus living on the inside, the greater one who is in you than he who is in the world. They had the power of God. There were anointings of God on people. There was, there was great works of God upon their lives, but they didn't have the change that comes upon us through the new birth. And so we can look at Samson and say, oh boy, Samson, you know, poor guy. But, you know, we, we don't have to feel too sorry for him because, you know, Joseph was an Old Testament saint and he was tempted and he did the right thing. He, he saw not, and this was the good thing about Joseph, the even greater thing. I'm talking about, you know, the mousetrap's coming down. You want to avoid the loss. You know, temptation leads to loss. Joseph wasn't really even concerned about loss. He was concerned about love. He, he loved God. He said, how can I do this thing and sin against the Lord? Not against uh, Potiphar, your husband, right? He had a, his mind, his eyes on the Lord. And uh, when it came to a temptation, he was watching God. He wasn't watching what looked more pleasing in the natural at the moment. Can we get to that place? Yes, we can. And Jesus said, again, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You ever wonder why it says watch and pray it puts the two together watch and i believe watch is a word that puts us on watch like a soldier stands watch at night he's on guard so praying is a form of being on guard you're watching and you're you're being alert you understanding that you have a treasure that you want to protect and you're understanding you have a mission that you want to succeed on and you're on watch because you're in the battle for the lord and the Lord has promised victory, but you, you want to be on watch against that enemy that wants to steal that from you, that has no right to it. And if you're on watch, he can't get to it. Joseph was on watch, but he was watching the Lord. What if we're on watch, not just guarding ourselves, but we're watching the Lord. Lord, you're with me. Lord, you love me. I love you. And we go about with, you know, Lord glasses on, invisible Lord glasses that filter everything. We see everything through, how does God see this? And, and, uh, and just knowing his friendship, his presence, his love, and carrying him into every situation. And being full of the Lord. You know, if someone has had a full juicy steak for dinner, seared just right and grilled just right, and so delicious, and you just ate as much steak as you want, 
you're not going to be tempted after that with a slice of bologna, right? But, and that's, that's, if you're full of the Lord, you're going to see sin as a bunch of bologna. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bologna. Sin is bologna. And Proverbs 27, verse 7, says the full soul loathes the honeycomb, or a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Why do so many people fall into sin? Because they're hungry. They're not full. They haven't gotten that feeling that comes only from a relationship with the Lord. And you can be saved and still be hungry because a relationship, as we say over and over again, requires two to be active in it. You don't just wait on God to zap you and say, oh boy, now I have the joy of the Lord. You have to be in communication, in relationship with the Lord. You're walking with the Lord. You're going somewhere with the Lord. You're seeking Him, and then you become full. And your mind becomes full of what, what you're in relationship with. You're always mindful that He's there. Let's look at James again. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, brings forth death. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So here we're talking about being full of the Lord. Your mind is on the Lord. And we're talking about desires. If your desire is on the Lord, you're going to be more in line with him. This is talking about what's, what's planted in our minds what we're thinking on, that's where these things gain power. Temptation gains power, not from the outside, but from the inside. What are you thinking about? You cannot be tempted by something you're not thinking about. Think about it. <laughs> so I used to read the blogs, the political blogs all the time, and the more I read them, the more knowledgeable I got, the more angry I got, the more bitter I got, and I'd walk around in a bad mood all day. But guess what? I stopped reading those blogs, and I'm, I'm not so bitter and angry anymore because I don't know. <laughs> you know. I'm not tempted by what I don't have in my head. And so, you know, there are people there that like, I mean, it's good to stay informed, but you watch the news all the time, you're going to be down and doom and gloom and and that's going to be it. If you stay full of entertainment, constantly in entertainment, you're going to see a lot of things that are ungodly, and you're going to be tempted to more unbelief because you're not seeing God promoted or presented or faith being built up in a lot of things. And especially if you have trouble with lust and, and things like that, you're not going to do well watching things that promote that kind of stuff. But if you don't fill your mind with that, it, it loses all its power. There's no temptation that's going to come upon you that you're not thinking about. All right? So I could tell you that I'm leaving in a few minutes. I'm going to leave my phone right here, okay? Would you watch it for me? Okay, sure. But now I'm going to tell you, and don't you dare touch this phone. Don't even think about touching this phone, and I'll be back. Well, now, guess what you're thinking about? <laughs> Why? And, you know, there's going to be some people who don't really care, and they're going to say, who's he to tell me? I'm going to go touch that phone. You know, you ever see a kid, don't do that, and they go, 
can't get this close, you know, this close, <laughs> you know, now there's a temptation. There's a temptation there, and, you know, maybe, maybe you, you'll be kind, honest, and a good Christian, and you won't touch my phone, but still, there was that temptation. That thought was there, right? If I hadn't said that, there would have never been any temptation about it. So what kind of situations are you putting yourself in that's putting temptation into your mind? Are you fearful? What are you subjecting your mind to all the time that promotes fear? I've been a hard time with lust and things like that. What are you looking at? What are you watching? What are you listening to? You know, if you're suffering loneliness, are you going to be reading romance novels and things like that that's going to just tempt you to want to not be lonely? I mean, we need to walk wisely, and we need to understand that there is power. A lot of that power is simply saying, no, I'm not going to give myself to that that's not healthy for me. Amen. All right, so, and I've said, you always like this illustration, you, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head sometimes. Sometimes temptations will just come, and it's not a sin. That's not a sin to have a temptation. But the sin is when you entertain it, and when you start to conceive, that desire conceives, that's when the sin is birthed. So, you know, the birds will try to build a nest. You can stop the birds from building the nest. You can't stop them from flying over your head. And so when they do, we should be shooing them away. But sometimes we say instead, oh, what cute birds. Huh, I wonder what that is. And we, we don't shoo them away, and that's when the problem comes. So in order to prevail, you understand that we have a say in it, that we have a deliverer that can help us. We can be full of him, and we can be empty of the enemy as much as we can, that we can't be fully empty of the enemy while we're in this world, but we do have the authority and power while we're full of Jesus to overcome, and it's not that difficult when we're full of him and in, in love in that relationship walk with Jesus. So sin doesn't have to be a big problem in the Christian's life. If you understand the grace of God and understand that you are totally accepted in the Beloved, but let's just talk briefly about trials because temptations also mean trials. And I mentioned before, James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Count it all joy when you fall into different trials or temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience, and patience should have its perfect, uh, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. That, that is a blessing that even in trials, we can be joyful. It doesn't mean we should embrace trials, but it means we can be joyful knowing that God can even use these things, what we go through, to make us complete, to do something powerful in our lives. No trial is fun, and some trials are way worse than others, but everything God can turn into something powerful in your life. If you, if you say, lead me not into the temptation of thinking, well, this is from you, God. Or lead me not into the temptation of thinking, God, you don't care. Deliver me from the evil. That's what the Greek is behind, deliver us from the evil one. It doesn't say the one. It just says deliver us from the evil. And you can imply the evil one. It can be Satan, but it can also be the evil thing. The evil thing that you're experiencing or Satan that's tempting you. But when you're going through a trial, you don't want to get into this temptation of, Where's God, and, and did God do this? We know God didn't do us, so we can understand that. But 
Does God care? Why did God allow this? Where is the escape? I can't see it yet. And, and you could start to feel down, despondent, anxious. And that is something that was a, a real revelation to me this week as I was thinking about this. said, I can start going off on a tangent thinking about my future, your future, our future, whatever, what's happening right now. And I can go off on a trail of tempting thoughts to get into a place of despondency or anxiety. And when I come to this petition, I say, wait a second. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil. Deliver me from the evil. There's a temptation for unbelief right now. Deliver me from that evil thing. There's a temptation to despondency. Deliver me from that evil thing. Anxiety. What is the tempting thought here? The tempting thought here is that you're not for me. No, deliver me from that. And God does it. It's like watching and praying. I'm on watch now, and I'm on guard, and I'm recognizing these, these thought trails, and I'm saying, nope, nope, nope. This, this, I'm not going in this direction. I'm not going to be led into that direction. I'm going to be delivered from evil. There's a Hebrew uh, anti, antithetical parallel thought there. But I'm going to prevail is the ultimate thing. And so you see yourself going down this trail of thoughts, Here's your, your deliverance, prayer. Prayer is often a deliverance because you're praying these things. Deliver me from the evil one. And we have one who is greater than the evil one. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10, it says, Who delivered God, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. There it is, three tenses there. He delivered us. God has already proven himself. You want to see God's work in your life, go back to the cross. God has already proven himself on your behalf in the cross. There are super saints out there. There are people performing miracles out there with people with great gifts out there. You might feel like, oh, who am I? Well, go back to the cross and you're all equal. The greatest miracle, the greatest gift, the greatest thing that has ever been done on your behalf is Jesus Christ on the cross died for you and rose again and opened your eyes to it and came into your life. And that puts us all on the high level and where we can rejoice and say he delivered us from so great a death he delivered us from the wrath of god he delivered us from the power of sin he delivered us from an eternity of woe and hell god did it it's done but wait that's not all he does deliver us wait there's still more to be delivered from like i said we we have to pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us because every day temptation is present but it's not powerful because he does deliver us. He's here. He didn't just die and that was it. He rose again and he entered in. He does. He is. God is. He is the I am, not the I was, or not just the I will be. He was and he will be, but he is the I am. He is. He does deliver us. And if we could just remember that in a time of temptation, all is well. And then we have the hope that he will still deliver us. Because all of this is for something that's coming, our new room that we talked about earlier, our new place. He is going to yet deliver us where all of this trial and temptation will be a thing of the past and it will be over. And we will be, just as he wants us, prepared and ready to reign and reign with him forever and ever. He will deliver us. And it's coming soon. And we see the way things are going on in this world. There is evil out there, and it's not going to get any better. 
If you want to be delivered from that, start being delivered now, allowing him to work in your life now because of what he did in the past on your behalf. It's all coming to an end, and it's all a happy end if we can live in that grace and that goodness of God and his deliverance. So much shouting in this place. Yeah, well, I'm shouting on the inside, right? Okay, so uh, we'll close up. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, when you think about it, it's actually a reaffirmation of what you've already prayed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is on earth. When we pray, deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation. That is in our life. We are praying the same thing. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, here, God, your kingdom in my life. For, for we're not just delivered from something. We're delivered to something. We're delivered to yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's not in the earliest manuscripts, but it's perfectly b biblical and an awesome thought, and it doesn't hurt to recite that with the rest of the prayer. And it's still, whether that's there or not, this is a kingdom prayer. We see that this prayer is all about what it is to be enveloped in God's kingdom. We are children of the kingdom. The only thing, it's like, it's like your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the beginning. And lead us not into, into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom. That's the end. Our, we're all encompassed in this. The only thing that's outside of it before it is our Father who is in heaven. It starts with worship. And when you worship and recognize him as your Father in heaven, you are encased in the kingdom. And the rest of this is about the kingdom work. In the kingdom, you have the position of his child. In the kingdom, you are partner with him in his rule and agenda. In the kingdom, you're provided for in that daily. You're pardoned for because of the blood of Jesus, and you prevail. And that is the good news of the gospel. And it all starts with the worship of God. And that is the model for our life as well as for prayer. You don't have to. This isn't a legalistic prescription of saying every time you sit down to pray, pray through the Lord's Prayer. But it's a good idea to do it from time to time. And you'll find that you'll, it won't take a short moment. You know, you, sometimes people say, well, how do I pray? If you take this, not just recite it, but you think on these things through each petition, It'll start bringing more things to your heart to pray about. It'll start building you up, and you'll find yourself having fellowship with the Lord. And so it's a good idea. Sometimes I, I don't uh, just jump in and say, Our Father who art in heaven. But I'll think about my position as, Well, I'm coming to the Lord now. I'm his child. He's my father. Lord, I have this on my heart right now. You know, prayer, you are free in prayer. Don't be rigid about it. But if you want to build yourself up, at times it's good to go through these petitions and remember these things. And also, in this manner, live. Not just as we pray, but it's in, in this manner, live. So that ends our series on the model prayer. I think I'm going to do one or two more on prayer to give some more helpful ideas on how you can improve your prayer life. Um, but let's just recap this. I gave you the P's, right? I don't know if you'll remember that, but let me give you something else. Um, we have in our Father, hallowed be thy name, we have worship. There's the idea of worship. In prayer, we worship. In our life, we worship. In the kingdom come, your will be done, we have submission. 
we submit, we resign ourselves to God, and that gives us peace and rest, knowing that His will will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We have dependence upon Him. So we are worshiping the Lord. We're submitted to Him and His will, and we depend on Him. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's the freedom that we have. We have freedom and peace because we've been reconciled to God, and we can be reconciled to others. We're not bound by bitterness but we're free. Worship, submission, dependence, freedom, and that produces the outcome. Not into temptation, but delivered from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So you have worship, submission, dependence, freedom, and it produces an outcome of glory and blessing. And that's what Jesus has purchased for us. Can we say amen? Amen. So let's close by standing together. Before we sing, let's recite our model prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen.